To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Village podcast. Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. Today, I'm first going to cover some summer safety tips, some for infants, for toddlers, kids, and even some that can be applied to tweens and even teens. Then I'll answer a mom's question about her toddler who is getting up several times in the middle of the night, leaving both parents feeling exhausted. But before I get to the summer safety tips and answering the question, I wanted to share that I have finally bit the bullet after getting many, many requests for parenting tip videos. I've dragged my feet on this because I tend to be fairly introverted and it took me a long time to feel comfortable both doing and hearing my own voice on the podcast. So video was and still is way outside of my comfort zone, but I've already created a short intro and put it up on Instagram. So if you want to see the super short version of the parenting video, the intro video, be sure to follow me. Well, of all the parenting videos, once I put them up, be sure to follow me at ironmom2020 on Instagram. The longer versions of the parenting tip videos, as well as the intro video has already gone up, but the longer versions of the parenting tip videos will also go up on the Your Village Facebook page, which is your village inc or facebook.com slash your village inc and on the youtube channel and you can find the youtube channel at youtube.com slash c slash your village santa clarita that's your village santa clarita s-a-n-t-a-c-l-a-r-i-t-a they made me use my location. I'm not loving that part of it. So if anyone out there is a YouTube expert and can tell me how to get rid of that or change that, feel free to send me an email at podcast at yourvillageonline.com. I'll gladly take your advice. But for now, the URL on YouTube is youtube.com slash C slash your village Santa Clarita. If you watch Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix, yes, I live in that Santa Clarita. Most of the exterior shots of neighborhoods are shot here in town. The homes in the show are also probably shot inside of local homes here. They have a very Santa Clarita look to them, 
which you may notice similarities in my parenting tip videos to our house. The videos will be more personal about my challenges as a mom that I have now or have had in the past and how I work to remedy or minimize them. I'll also share some more insights into me as a mom and as a person. It'll mostly be about parenting, but I'll share a few other aspects of myself that some may find of interest, such as how I manage my self-care, including my fitness training and nutrition. If anyone has anything in particular you would like to know about any of our routines, about my lifestyle, parenting, how I choose or manage and balance the kids' activities, my favorite snack during my training season, you name it. I'm pretty open about who I am and what I do well, my challenges, and what steps that I take to face them. Now, before I get to the summer safety tips, I do apologize to my listeners in the Southern Hemisphere. I do know it's not summer there right now. And I was so jealous of you all when I was freezing. And yes, freezing is a relative term since low here is in the low 40s Fahrenheit. But hopefully you will come back and listen to these tips in November or December when it's getting hot where you are or you'll just remember them. But let me get started with the summer safety tips. So first, I want to go over something that is pertinent and of the utmost importance to kids of all ages and adults too. Sunscreen. Everyone needs sunscreen if they're going to be out in the sun at all. I don't care how dark your skin is. Sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen. I don't have any brand preferences for sunscreen, but I do have ingredient and application method preferences. Plus, new sunscreens come out on the market constantly, but do read reviews and see what you feel most comfortable with. There was a brand a few years back that a lot of parents struggled with because their kids were getting burned. Now, hopefully they've changed their formula, but do some research if you find one that you really want to try. And there are tons of options out there, including organic. For babies, you definitely want to be sure to use one that is made specifically for baby's skin. If you aren't sure, you can ask your pediatrician. You want to make sure that the sunscreen is at least 30 SPF and covers UVB and UVA protection factors. Now, zinc oxide and titanium oxide are some of the best protective ingredients available. That's what I use on my skin when I'm going out in the sun for a long period. More than just running a few errands around town. It kind of makes this white film on your skin. It's really sexy, but it's worth it. For a long run, a long ride, or a day at the beach, or even just a few hours at the beach, that's what I use for myself and the kids. I actually found a list on the Environmental Working Group's website that lists 23 of the highest scoring kid and baby sunscreens for both safety and protection. So if you want to see that list, go to... EWG. So EWG is for Environmental Working Group. So EWG.org slash sunscreen slash best dash kids dash sunscreens. So that's EWG.org slash sunscreen slash best dash kids dash sunscreens. They also have a great write-up and spreadsheet about toxicity in sunscreen. So if you want to know the common chemical compounds in most sunscreens and the findings about the side effects of those chemicals, you can go to the same website, EWG.org slash sunscreen slash report slash, these all have dashes in between them, this next part, the trouble with sunscreen chemicals. So ewg.org slash sunscreen slash report slash 
the trouble with sunscreen chemicals. Now, the trouble with sunscreen chemicals has dashes in between. The dash trouble dash blah, blah, blah. Sorry. (laughs) The sunscreens on their list that I mentioned before, the best kids sunscreens, do not include any of the chemicals that they find troubling. When you're outdoors, you want to reapply sunscreen every two hours. If swimming, you or your kids, you should reapply as soon as you get out of the water And that's at least every two hours. So if they haven't gotten out of the water in two hours, they need to get out, dry off, reapply the sunscreen, wait about 10 or 15 minutes, then get back in. You want to give it 10 or 15 minutes to soak in before getting in the water. That includes putting it on before you go outside. Now, I love the idea of spray or pump sunscreen because it's quick and you don't have to get your hands greasy. But they all seem to contain the chemicals that are not recommended. So... So far, no one has come out with a pump or spray version that does not contain at least some of the more toxic chemicals that are being told to be to stay away from by the environmental working group. I thought I found one because it had the zinc oxide, but it also had one of the chemicals that's not recommended. So for now, if you want to avoid the chemicals that are not recommended, you have to do it in lotion form. What I will say about the report that I read is that it showed that these chemicals mostly seem to affect boys. The boys were found to have lower testosterone levels, so I've decided to just stay away from it for all of us. The list of recommended sunscreens on the EWG website does include some of the stick sunscreens, which I love to use for faces. It's much easier to apply, and I don't worry about getting it in my kids' eyes. And they can even do it themselves. I still watch them to make sure they don't miss spots, but the stick sunscreens are great for face and neck. I use those for myself as well. But it's a bit much to use the stick on the entire body. You'd probably work your way through a stick in no time. The one caution about using the stick is that people tend to go too light with it. So if you use a stick sunscreen, be sure to get a good layer on your kids and on yourself when you do use it and the areas that you use it on. My second summer tip, stay hydrated. Keep everyone hydrated, yourself and your kids. Keeping well hydrated is really important. It helps reduce the risk of heat stroke and heat exhaustion. It helps dissipate that heat throughout the body. So children and adults must remember to drink. Don't wait until your child says he is thirsty before offering fluids. At this point, he's already dehydrated. So be sure to provide plenty of fluids before going outside, while out in the heat, and afterwards. Give kids their own water bottles and check the volume in the bottles to make sure they're drinking. I prefer the translucent ones so that I can see exactly how much they're drinking at a glance. But there are some great insulated bottles on the market too, and some prefer those. So if you're using something you can't see through, be sure to check the volume to make sure your child is drinking the water. Now, pool and bike safety to me are of the utmost importance, partially because we live in Southern California where every other home seems to have a pool in the backyard. And if not, almost every community here has one. Sadly, drowning is among the leading causes of accidental death in children. And drownings are the leading cause of death and injury for young children ages one to four. When it comes to bike safety, more children ages 5 to 14 are seen in emergency rooms for injuries related to biking than any other sport. But proper safety precautions and learning and following safety rules can prevent these injuries. 
Also, a properly fitted and worn bicycle helmet can reduce the risk of severe brain injury by 88%. Now, most kids I see riding bikes are not fitted nor wearing their helmet properly. And I am a total stickler about my kids' helmets, having been a cyclist for a very long time and seen the damage that can be done when it comes to bike and car, bike's going to lose. And when it comes to following the laws of the road, kids aren't always great about that. I've even known of a child who just simply fell down on his bike and hit his head on the curb. No car involved. And he was brain damaged for life. Kids need helmets. They need to wear them properly. If you're looking for more comprehensive summer safety tips for avoiding sunburn, to pool and bike safety, to avoiding and treating bug bites, rashes, and food poisoning, I do have a class on the website that covers them all in depth at yourvillageonline.com under the Modern Parenting section. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights, or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com slash parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com slash parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. 
So now for our question about our toddler who keeps getting out of bed in the middle of the night. Claire says, hi, Erin. I recently started listening to your podcast and I really enjoy it. I have learned so much already. I have a few related questions about toddler sleep that I'm not sure how to handle. My daughter, Anne, just turned three about one and a half months ago. We moved her from her crib into a regular bed. We have been having problems with nap time and bedtime ever since. For bedtime, I have one quick question about the mantra method. Does staying in the doorway with her door open count? She falls asleep in the doorway now. The big nighttime issue is that she comes into our room and we don't let her in bed, but we go back with her to her room and lay down with her. We just fall asleep there with her for a while and come back to our room when we wake up. However, she just comes back to our room the next time she wakes up. We also have an eight-month-old, and so we're getting up a couple of times a night already, and we are very exhausted. She's up as much as the eight-month-old. I know that we need to stop letting her fall asleep with us in her bed in the middle of the night. How do we do this? Does this require the mantra method in the middle of the night? Sometimes I can hardly keep my eyes open when she shows up, and I'm not sure how I'm going to be with it enough to follow through. She has basically stopped napping since we changed her bed. She doesn't nap at daycare anymore, but she does get a long period of restful quiet time there when all the other kids are napping and can tell on the weekends that she needs the nap or at least the lay down and rest for a bit. I have tried quiet time, like you laid out in one of your podcasts. However, it just becomes a power struggle. I put her back when she tries to come out using the mantra method, but she also does the standing in the doorway trick here. Should I require the door to be closed? She has always taken 20 to 30 minutes to relax and fall asleep on a good day. And after getting so worked up about getting put back in her room over and over, she likely won't fall asleep or even relax during quiet time. How is doing the mantra method not a power struggle? Also, how do I enforce something like actually being quiet during quiet time? Thank you for your help. So for your first question to me, yes, falling asleep in the doorway counts. I would call that a win. To me, as long as my kid was staying in their room and were not coming to ask me for one last thing, a hug, a drink of water, I'm hungry, or what have you, that was a success. I have a series of pictures of our twin son sleeping in the craziest places and contortions in his room, on the floor or on his rocker. It became a running joke about where or in what position or snuggled up with what toy we would find Chandler that night. I also have one picture of my daughter asleep at the top of the stairs where we found her when we went up one night. And that's the only time she ever did that, but she must have wanted to hear our voices or something as she fell asleep. But she didn't come down and get us. So to me, it was fine. Didn't even know she was sleeping there. So yes, I would say that counts. There are a few ways to handle the middle of the night issue. You are right. Falling asleep with her in her bed is a big part of why she's coming in to get you. Because what kids fall asleep with is what they expect to find when they wake up. And when it isn't the same, it startles them awake. We all have sleep cycles and we go through four stages of sleep. Stage one is light sleep and stage four is very deep. We all cycle through these. Adults cycles are about 90 minutes long. Toddlers and infants are about 60 minutes. By the time kids hit around four years of age, their cycles usually stretch out to match that of an adult. So about every 60 minutes or so, maybe slightly longer, your daughter is hitting that stage one of sleep. This is where we rouse a bit, maybe turn over and fall back into stage two and continue through the cycles. When she rouses and when she realizes that you aren't there, it startles her awake. You are her sleep association, and so she wants and expects you there to help her get back to sleep. Now, you have two options. 
you can work on getting your eight-month-old to sleep through the night first so you can have more energy to work with your toddler. Or you can start with your three-year-old and just commit to getting her in a better place with sleeping through the night so you can eliminate that issue, which means not laying down with her. So here's the big thing. By eight months old, so long as your baby has no health issues or wasn't a preemie, he or she should be sleeping through the night by now. By four months of age, again, with a healthy baby born at full gestation, they don't need to feed to get through the night anymore. And I'm not sure if this is what's happening or not, but this is a common pattern. Baby wakes up, mom or dad feeds baby, and baby falls back to sleep because baby's sleep association is feeding. So whether it's feeding as a sleep association or something else, I'm not sure what's going on with your baby, but this may be something you want to take a look at. Once your baby can stand up in the crib, it does get a bit harder to break this middle of the night waking habit with an infant. As far as your three-year-old daughter, yes, the middle of the night could be the mantra method or a fading method. The mantra method would be walking her back to bed and simply saying it's nighttime and doing that as many times as it takes until she stays in bed. Yes, it can be very hard when you are exhausted, but three to five nights of this and breaking the habit so that you can get more sleep going forward is, in my opinion, well worth the investment. Since you started the habit of going in with her, if you're going to implement this, I would recommend setting up the guideline with her beforehand. You could talk about it a few days ahead or the day of, but something like, when you wake up at night, mommy will no longer be staying in your room with you while you fall asleep. I will walk you back to your room and then go back to my room to sleep. Then remind her again right before bed. Kids. Well, any animal really will test the boundaries when something has become an ingrained habit and we try to change it. So it's not unlikely that she will test to see if you really mean it. Now, depending on how strong-willed the child is, they can push back harder the second or third time or night than they did the first time or through the first night, just to make sure you mean what you say. We call this an extinction burst in psychology. It's an all-out, last-ditch effort to get you to break. It's kind of like the saying, it's darkest before the dawn. This is when kids will really pull out all the stops. It means they're giving that last all out effort. So don't be surprised if it's not super hard the first time or the first night, and then it gets harder. Don't think it's not working. It's your daughter trying to pull out the stops and see if she can break you. I would also suggest scheduling this and doing it on a long weekend. Not sure if both of you work or just one of you, but If you can take a vacation day or two, or you both can take a vacation day or two if you're both working so you can work together and no one has to get up for work the next morning after trying to work on this sleep issue. The other method I mentioned is the fading method. It takes a bit longer, but there's less getting up and coming back for you. It could take two or three weeks though. This is one where you slowly remove yourself as the sleep association. The first few nights you go in and sit on her bed and stay with her until she's almost asleep. You could be rubbing her back, but don't lay down. If you do, you'll most likely fall asleep. You'll do this for a couple of nights. Every time she gets up, you'll walk her back, you'll sit on her bed, you'll rub her back until she's almost asleep and then you'll get up and leave. The next few nights, you'll sit on her bed, but you won't rub her back. The next few nights, you might sit on a chair beside her bed. You may or may not want to or need to put a hand on her back. 
you'll see what steps work best for her. But basically, you just want to take a step backwards every few days. Soon, you'll simply walk her to her room, tuck her in, maybe pat her on the back and walk away. Then lastly, when she comes to you, you'll simply say, it's nighttime, you need to go back to bed. And then soon after that, she'll stop coming in at all because there's just no payoff. As far as the nap times, you don't want it to turn into a power struggle. So it would be ideal if she can just stay in her room quietly. If you can work with her to stay quietly in her room for 10 minutes, even set a timer that she can see, and you may need to start with five minutes and that's okay. Then you wanna slowly lengthen it out. If you can get to 20 and then 30 minutes, that would be great. You're letting her know that during quiet time, you won't be talking with or playing with her. If you can, take a quiet time yourself. I know that can be hard. I used to want to get all kinds of things done when mine were napping. But especially early on when you're first trying to implement this quiet time, if you can set the example of quiet time and just read a book for those 5 to 10 minutes, then you aren't doing anything exciting and you're modeling quiet time for her. It makes things way less interesting and less tempting for her to want to get up and see what she's missing. Also, hopefully baby is also napping during this time. When I was working with this, I would put my twins down first for their nap and then I would work with my oldest on his quiet time. And he also stopped napping super early. Basically, the day he turned three, he was done. He just stopped napping. But this is also the kid who gets up and gets himself ready in the morning now. He takes all the initiative to do his homework the minute he walks in the door from school. He basically just takes a lot of initiative with a lot of things because he's just high energy. So there are payoffs down the road with these high energy kids who need less sleep. So hopefully you could hang on to that through this um, trying time. For any parents struggling with nap, bedtimes, or nighttime issues with infants or toddlers, there are two classes on the website, Infant Sleep and Toddler Sleep. Now, Toddler Sleep actually really covers kids through elementary school if you're still struggling in those elementary school years trying to get your kids to stay in bed at night. So you can find those at yourvillageonline.com under the Health and Development section. I cover the basics of sleep, the steps to implementing four different bedtime and nighttime methods in depth so you can pick the one that feels best for you and your family, your child, and the way that you like to do things. I also cover troubleshooting some common bedtime, nighttime, and naptime issues in those classes. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.